Good morning. I am uh, really excited about this uh, new uh, sermon series uh, called A Strong Tower. It's built on that proverb that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. And so we are going to explore the Old Testament, explore the names of God in the Old Testament and take a look at who he is and why the name of the Lord is, in fact, a strong tower. And, and as I was putting together this sermon series, Exodus chapter 3 was, of course, the ideal passage for understanding the name of the Lord. It's the first time that God truly reveals himself in a very personal and powerful way in this name Yahweh uh, that would become uh, just the standard by which God is identified throughout the Old Testament. And as Carl will share uh, later on in this sermon series, also in the Gospels. And so let's uh, take a moment to pray uh, over this sermon, uh, pray over this passage, and allow God's presence, his spirit, uh, to just move uh, this morning. Father, we are grateful to be here, grateful to celebrate who you are. And as we sing these songs of praise, declaring you to be king, declaring that this is the day that the Lord has made, declaring who you are, We come with humble hearts, identifying that who you are is so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more good than we could ever even imagine. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will speak through your word here in Exodus chapter 3, that you will touch our hearts, that you'll touch our minds, that you'll touch our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, Moses, Moses, one of the most iconic of all the Old Testament characters. His birth story is amazing, right? You remember the birth story of Moses? The beginning of Exodus tells us that the sons of Joseph and his brothers were very prosperous in Egypt. They worked hard. And they grew in numbers. We're told in Exodus chapter 1 that a new Pharaoh had become king over Egypt. And this Pharaoh particularly did not remember Joseph. Did not remember the works of Joseph. What Joseph had done to save the people of Egypt through those years and years of famine. This Pharaoh became anxious about the number of Hebrews. And so, he made them slaves. He treated this people group poorly. Even put together this plan to kill any baby born to an Israelite woman who was a boy. We're told in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses was a beautiful baby, a good-looking strong baby, and he was spared by his mother's midwife. His mother put together this basket and a plan. 
We're not told it's a plan, but by the way it went down, she had some ideas sent from God. And God worked it out because she put this basket, this baby in the basket, and she sent her older daughter ahead of him. And that basket floated down and just happened to arrive at a very sacred spot where Pharaoh's daughter was, we're told, bathing, maybe ceremonially washing. And she hears the cry of Moses. Well, suddenly, she picks this beautiful baby up, falls in love immediately, and this little girl just happens to be walking by, who we know as Moses' sister. Says, hey, do you have a nursing mother that can help? Well, yes, I do. (laughs) And so Moses is spared, gets to grow up in his parents' home, to be nursed, and then when he was fully weaned, he got to grow up in Pharaoh's house. He got to learn about his Hebrew heritage, and he got to go to the best school in all of the world. I think Moses struggled as an adult because of his upbringing. This dualistic problem of being an adopted grandson of Pharaoh but also a Hebrew. And he watched as the Hebrews were mistreated, and I think his pain grew, folks. One day he saw a Hebrew really mistreating an, uh, I'm sorry, a Hebrew really being mistreated by an Egyptian. Moses ends up intervening and killing that Egyptian and burying him in the sand. He thought what he did was in secret, but quickly learned and found out that word was out, and he wisely fled Egypt, landed in the house of a priest by the name of Reuel, or Jethro, and he married one of his daughters. It is in Midian, shepherding shepherding the flocks of Reuel, that we find Moses in today's passage, Exodus chapter 3. Let's start by reading verses 1 through 5. It says that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he left the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, which we're told is the mountain of God. There, right there, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. How many here have ever burned a brush fire? A nice, dry brush fire. It burns up fast, don't it? But me and my, my uh, kids, we like to throw our old Christmas trees on it and watch it go whoosh. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But it doesn't last long. Now, Moses has spent enough time in the desert to know that if a bush is on fire, it's consumed quickly. It kind of goes whoosh, and then it's gone. But this fire was different. He had been shepherding these flocks long enough in that region to know this was different. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up. And when he had gotten close enough, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, 
God said from within this burning bush, Moses, Moses. Have you ever noticed God's always got a deep voice? (laughs) And Moses says, here I am. He's got a higher voice than God. But God said, don't come any closer. God said, take your sandals off of the place where you are standing, he says, is holy ground. Notice that that ground wasn't holy until when? Until God arrived. That's what made this experience, that's what made this ground holy. It was God's presence right then and right there. It was an ordinary place, but God's presence made it holy. And God now reveals himself to Moses. I'm going to summarize the next few verses but because I want you to hear and read over it. You'll see this. I want you to hear the I am statements that God is making to Moses. He says, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I have indeed seen the misery of God's people, my people who are in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned with their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. I will bring them out of that land. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of the the Israelites out of Egypt. I mean, God could not make it any clearer, right? And Moses muddies the water. He responds in in Exodus 3.11. Read that. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people out of Egypt. You're nobody. God just got done telling you that he's the one that's going to do it. God just got done telling you that he's the one that heard the cries of the Hebrews. It wasn't Moses that heard the cries. It wasn't Moses that saw the misery. It was God who heard them crying out and was God who was choosing to act. God made it clear that he would deliver the people, not Moses. And Moses still didn't get it, and he responds in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, but what if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? I mean, I get it. I want to sympathize with Moses. It's an enormous task ahead of him. Even if God had the power to deliver them from Pharaoh, who said they would even follow some random weirdo who talks to bushes? And so God, in his compassion, God in his grace, gives Moses his name. And I want to sit on that passage today Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. 
And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you should say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, names are incredibly important in the Bible, amen? It was Adam who named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. It was God who changed Abram's name to Abraham to show that he had made him the father of many nations. It was God who changed Sarai's name to Sarah. It was God who changed Jacob's name to Israel. And when the Son of God came into this world, his name was not left to chance. His name wasn't Jethro, was it? It was Jesus. And Matthew 121 says, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the name Yahweh is no different. The one who names a person defines the person, and God has named himself to express his character and his being. Yahweh, or I am who I am, it says a lot about God. And if you want to follow along your notes, I'm going to give you three ways that we can see in this passage and in this word what it means about God. God is the God of the past. Yahweh, I am, who I am, is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. Jacob was Moses' great, great, great grandfather, Israel. So Yahweh was the God of also was the God of Moses' father, who was Amram. So he's the God of Amram and his grandfather, Kohath, his great-grandfather, Levi. He is the God of your grandfather. He's the God of your father. God has always been. And when God called Abraham to leave his home and travel, God was with him. When God called uh, Abraham to, to sacrifice Isaac, God was with Isaac and provided a ram instead. And when Jacob wrestled an angel, God was present and gave him the new name Israel. God in the past was always with his people. And so when he said, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you can see that God was present with each and every one of them. And that speaks to us, right? When, when uh, God called uh, Jessica and I to, to leave Cincinnati and to come to Cornerstone here in Knoxville, we had actually just built a home in Cincinnati. Uh, bought a home. We didn't build it. We bought the home. And our calling to Knoxville came right as the housing market crashed, 2006, which meant nobody wanted to buy our home for the amount that we paid for it. Nobody wanted to buy our home for the amount that we paid for it. We actually lived in Knoxville longer than we lived in our home in Cincinnati before we sold it. We lived in Knoxville renting a home 
for longer than we actually lived in the home we bought in Cincinnati. It was crazy. But God was with us. I can look back and say that God took care of every single one of our needs. The God of the past now gives us hope here and confidence here and the present. When God says, I am who I am, he is saying he is present with you now because you can look at the God of the past and have confidence. When the Israelites finally conquered the promised land in Joshua chapter 21, verse 45, remember these words. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Why did Joshua write that? He wrote that down as a reminder for all the Israelites who were to come that the God of the past keeps his promises. And you can look at the story of Joshua and be reminded that the God of the past keeps his promises. So when God says, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is speaking to us as well. I was there in the past. I'm going to be with you in the present. That's why the God, Yahweh, is the God of the present. He's here right now. He's not just the God of the past. Yahweh's presence caused the ground to be holy. The never-ending fire provided proof to Moses that he was, in fact, I am who I am. And it communicated to Moses that he was presently listening I can hear the cries of my people. He was presently watching. I'm watching now the mistreatment of the Hebrews in Egypt. Yahweh didn't just make a promise to Moses' forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. He's making promises now. He's fulfilling promises now. He is making promises now, and he is fulfilling promises now. There's a song by Elevation Worship called Rattle, and the song talks about the past, talks about the dry bones that rattle in Ezekiel's prophecy. It references powerful miracles of God that have been done in the past as recorded in Scripture. And of course, it speaks to the resurrection and the power of God displayed in an empty tomb. But listen to this verse. It says, Pentecostal fire is stirring something new. You're not going to run out of miracles anytime soon. Yeah, the resurrection power, it runs in my veins too, and I believe that there's another miracle right here in this room. Of course, the Pentecostal fire was referring to the great miracle in Acts chapter 2, but it was speaking to now. The rest of the verse is talking about now that God is still working miracles. God is still working in your lives the same way that he worked in the Old Testament, the same way that he works in the New Testament. God is speaking to you. God is working through you. God is healing you. God is transforming you here and now. He is present with us now. And even Jesus said to his disciples as they watched, as God's power flowed through him, they were like, whoa, that's crazy. How do you do that, Jesus? And Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, 
says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, not said, says, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that they, what they say will happen, it will be done for them. He was talking about the present. He was saying if you have faith, you can move mountains now. It's not just God working in a historical book. It's God working now in your lives, in your marriages, in your workplaces, in your schools. I believe that there's another miracle right here in this room that is happening today. Amen? The God of the future. Let's finally talk about that. I am speaks to a God who cares not just about the present, not just about here and now, but God very much cares about what's happening in the immediate future. These promises that God makes to Moses would come true. Whether Moses wanted to or not, <laughs> and you can read, he does his best to get out of it. But God was faithful and God used him, and miracles happen. His name will be remembered from generation to generation. God is everlasting. He was present with human beings in the past. He's present with us now. And he's going to be present for your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Joshua says in Joshua 1, verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As we walk forward, as we move forward in the immediate future, God is present with us. And you know, leaving Egypt, it wasn't going to be easy. As slaves, the Israelites were essential to the economy of Egypt. Pharaoh's heart would be hardened many times, leading right up to the Exodus. But we read that Yahweh was with Moses and the Israelites every step of the way. Yahweh caused the plagues to gather Pharaoh's attention. Yahweh parted the Red Sea as the Hebrews walked across dry land. Yahweh caused water to flow from a rock to water the people and the animals. Yahweh would feed all the Hebrews through special food called manna. And here we are worshiping the same Yahweh today, this morning. So I have to ask you, what lies ahead? Maybe you hear God's call to step out on faith, to meet and share with your neighbors or coworkers, but you're afraid. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. You don't think that anything can be done to save it. Maybe you have a conflict in your life and you don't know how there'll ever be any kind of reconciliation. Well, this morning, I'm here to tell you that God has shared with you his personal name. 
And as we approach life and try to move forward, I am who I am is with you. He was with your grandparents. He's with you now, and he's not giving up on you. Jesus said those beautiful words in Matthew 28. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And as we approach the Lord's Supper today, I'm reminded by Jesus' words before he ascended, before he died on the cross, that he would be with his disciples through that horrible, horrible times. He gave them strength, encouraged their lives, and he was present with them. So remember these promises this morning as we take communion together. There will be uh, stations at each corner here. I encourage you to grab a cup and hold the cup as we will take it together after Dale shares with us a little bit more. And as we sing, I invite you to stand and grab one of those cups. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. And then uh, we'll sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Father, I am uh, incredibly grateful for your faithfulness to your people in the past, your faithfulness to us even today. And Father, your faithfulness to us as we face all the troubles of this life. And we know that you'll continue to be faithful because your promises are true, because we've seen your promises in action. We see as Moses did exactly what you called him to do through, through the power of your spirit. I pray that you'll guide us, that you'll lead us, and that your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.